Hey there, welcome to the Snakebird Podcast. My name's Josh. And I'm Steve. Together we invite you to join us as we explore the mysteries of Scripture, the realm of God, and freedom through Christ. So spread out your wings. It's slither in place. Because this is Snakebird. Hey, welcome Snakebirds to a fresh episode of the cast. Today we're dipping back into the well and pulling out a few more questions to answer as we bring you another delivery of the Snakebird mailbag. That's right, Snakebirds. We hope you're doing great so far this week and that you're ready for our second mailbag episode. I'm really loving these episodes, even though this is our second one. (laughs) But Josh and I are diving into some more questions that we have heard from both curious Christians and skeptics. So I hope you're ready to dive into some thought-provoking, I would say, topics on today's Snakebird mailbag. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if there's any as thought-provoking as the daddy one, but but we could try. Yeah, no kidding. So should we give them a sneak peek into what all three of them are going to be, Josh, or just jump in one by one? Hey, if you got a peek available, I say go for it. So the three questions we're going to be going over is um, names in the Bible, and and we're going to explain this later, uh, should believers have a church home and tithing? Those are going to be the three categories yeah. that we're going into. Yeah. Let's see if we still have all our listeners at the end of the episode. <laughs> well, the names in the Bible one, that, that sounds weird at first, but uh, that's that's kind of an interesting one that you that you got asked, right, Josh? Yes, it is. It is. So if it's okay, I'll just read the question. Yeah, that sounds great to me because I'm not entirely sure what the context was, but when I hopped on Google to look for the way this question was asked, I had a really hard time like finding a ton of people out there that threw it. Okay. So, yeah. You, well, yeah, you for sure set it up. Okay. So, this is the way it was asked. I was having a conversation with an atheist friend of mine, and one of their criticisms of the Bible, among many, this is in parentheses, were that the names of the main characters of the Bible were all too easy to pronounce. Uh, as in, like, it was just a little too simplistic. I think, and this is what the commenter said, I think this is a ridiculous argument for so many reasons, but have never considered it and wondered if you could address it. And um, man, when we first got this question and we kind of batted it back and forth, we were like, well, that's just downright strange. Yeah, it sounded really silly to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... To me, it almost feels like it's a reach and there's an underlying desire to deny the truth of the gospel or Mm -hmm. of God's word. But the more that I thought about it, I I guess I could understand where somebody who might be really uneducated um, just in the way that the Bible comes together uh, could have this notion that it's like, well, all of a sudden you have simple names like Paul or Peter or Jesus or Moses or David. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I again, trying to approach it with an open mind and the mind of a snake bird to overcome uh, anyone who's looking at it from the view of an atheist. I thought that's a good one for us to answer. Yeah, for sure. So it sounds like the context was the names are just too easy yes. to pronounce. It's just like, it's like, oh, James, I mean, because <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I. I'm speculating, but I would assume maybe in their mind they thought, you know, it should be like Jehoshaphat yeah, <laughs> should be yeah. the main character or something. <laughs> Mephibosheth, you know. Agamemnar or something. Yeah, you know, some, yeah, yeah. Some Nordic crazy name or yeah. something. Well, I mean, because in other languages there are names that we definitely 
have difficulty pronouncing, which I think will speak to a little bit about this. Yeah. So, yes. so yeah, that's interesting. I, I came at it from the only stuff that I've ever heard in, in some research I've done in the past. And it it's more of a, uh, I guess you would file it under textual criticism type of stuff. Okay. But not it, it didn't fall under the realm of it's too easy to say. So that sounds like that's the context of the question. But I, I have some thoughts. Thoughts on that realm um, from my end. But Josh, why don't you, since the context was more, it's just too easy to say, why don't you go into what you discovered? Okay, well, um, there wasn't a lot for me. I, I mean, again, I tried to approach this as open minded as I could. And what I kind of came to, especially since we have um, lexicons and we have uh, concordances. And now we've got um, so many things available online where we can actually listen to pronunciations the way that they would be from the original language, is I came up with that the names in the Bible are translated into English and at times have gone through massive phonetical simplifications for our pronunciation. And that's not only biblical names, that's names from every language. Mm. And I love listening to the way that they're said in their original language for the authenticity of it, but often that pronunciation is something that I struggle to pronounce. And I think that's why we come a lot of times even to a passage in, let's say like Samuel, and we're like, well, is that name Abiathar or is it Abiathar or is it Abiathar? You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and the funny thing is, is if we were to be able to talk to somebody who actually was writing that at the time, they'd look at us like, you just butchered that name yeah, in like, every way. Like Abijah and you were like, no, I think it's Abijah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I started to go um, just from the direction that I thought about it is that uh, – when you when you think about it, Jesus is actually a wonderful name for a savior because I appreciate that his name was actually such a common name. Yeah. And we don't hear many people being named Jesus in our day and age, at least not the way that we pronounce it. Uh, shout out to all of our listeners named Jesus out there. Mm -hmm. But his name was very common because it was Yeshua. And uh and it was it was one of those names where it was like almost every kid on the block, you know. You, I think they do that um, most common names of like the 1980s, and they show you the oh, map, yeah. and it's like David and Joshua and Jason and you know Alexander or whatever. Yes. And I think that was a very very popular name at that time, and um, you know that's one of the things. Uh, one other thing about the Hebrew culture is that I really love that so many names actually had the component of God built into them, whether it's an ah sound or an L sound. Uh, so many things were just an uh, indicative of an attribute of God. I was looking up just a few. Zechariah, the Lord remembers. Joshua, God is salvation. Daniel, God is my judge. Hosea, God helps. Ezekiel, God will strengthen. Jeremiah, appointed by God. And I think um, to answer this listener's questions, when we talk about names, the the fact that they're simplified is because they've been translated. Yeah, that's a great point. That's that's kind of the realm I went into. Okay, okay. But that that makes sense because uh, we we can't we don't it doesn't roll off the tongue so to say <laughs> as it would when you're used to speaking that ancient language. Yeah, yeah. And and if you ever want um, to hear the actual way that it was said. 
there are resources available. One thing that I found is using an interlinear Bible to find the actual um, like Strong's word. And then you can actually play an audio recording of somebody who's gone in and recorded each word of the Bible in its original language. And a lot of times I joke because I try to come and and say it the way that I've listened to it over and over, the way it's pronounced. But by the time I get here, it's been muddled in my silly brain that's like drank way too much caffeine that day. And I'm like, (laughs) well, he said it like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and it never comes out the same way. (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) So yeah, that's that's my take on this question. It reminds me of a Key and Peele skit where he was trying to talk French. (laughs) 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 Oh, that's great. Well, I'm going to reiterate just some of what you said probably, but um, I'm going to start off with a, a quote by scholar Douglas Stewart. He says, a single Hebrew word rarely corresponds precisely to a single English word, but may range in meaning through all or parts of several different English words. Translation, therefore, almost always involves selection. And like you said, Josh, I mean, the reason we bring this up is because translating an ancient language into English takes some linguistic maneuvering. Mm -hmm. I mean, it has to. Not in the sense of um, another realm that skeptics might go into as far as uh, not knowing exactly what was said, because that's just not true. But the truth is we have an extremely accurate translation but to get the message or pronunciation correct, there's adjustments that have to be made. And you kind of already said that. But let me go through a few more thoughts that I had. But another uh, commentator writes this. Native Africans brought to the Caribbean and the Americas during the slave era had to learn the English language but could not manage the simple word ask because of the awkward combination of the consonants S and K. So they pronounced the word as axe. This became a cultural trait, and even today, many African Americans and West Indian citizens of the UK still vocalize ask as axe. So that was a quote by a commentator introducing the various names in the Bible, and and I think he makes a great point when we think about word morphology. Uh, One example I'll mention is like Joseph in the Bible. In Genesis 41-45, we see that he was given the name Zephanath-Paneah, and I'm sure I I butchered that. But a while back, I read a book by an Egyptologist by the name of David Rule, and you might recognize his name because he was a contributing voice in the Patterns of Evidence film that came out some years back. It was kind of revealing evidential proof for events surrounding the Exodus. But the neat thing about David Rohl is he isn't really a believer. Not that it's cool he's not a believer. Mm -hmm. But he believes the Bible to be the truest history book humanity has. And one of the things he points out is with this name Joseph was given in Exodus and how the pronunciation of that name is a piece of evidence in itself because it was so true to the era, like like out of the norm true. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of skeptical scholars will try to say that Joseph didn't even exist, but this unbelieving Egyptologist actually believes this name of Joseph to be one of the many pieces of evidence pointing to how God's Word is more accurate than any history book that we have. Wow. And I wish I had more time to dive into that because he breaks it down in depth. But if you want to check it out for yourself, listener, his book is titled... Uh, Exodus, Myth, or History. And it's a really insightful piece, I think, um, if you're into apologetics and whatnot. Sure, so, yeah. That's just a few things that I found on 
on people that look into the Bible with a skeptical lens thinking, hey, these these don't add up. And they really do. The yeah. names are so true to, to the era and whatnot that uh, I think it's a silly argument personally. Yes. And, uh, of course, if, if there's stuff that you've heard, listener, that we that we didn't find, I mean, I really scoured Google, and I, mm. I didn't see much else, honestly, to, yeah. to really push on that realm. Well, and I don't think the well has run dry on the uh, skepticisms of the friends of the person who submitted this question. So uh, I think <laughs> we might get some more at no, some point. But yeah. I mean, just to answer this, I thought it was a good way to at least um, start a conversation or um, give some good reference on why that might be the case. So, yeah, yeah. cool. Well, if it's something being asked by someone out there, it's worth addressing because it, it can affect people's faith if they start being like, oh, we don't have an answer to this question. Yeah, so. yeah. Why is his name not Sugar Babaretta? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's great. Well, I can tell you why. So, well, cool. I think we, uh, we did it on that one, Josh. Shall we move on? We shall. Right on. So this next question is regarding um, having a church home. Uh, the other day, the question was raised about going to church, and the group discussing this question seemed to lean heavily towards the notion that you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And it, it was obvious that some people had been burned by the church, I think, but others simply didn't see the need or want to have a church home. Um, is going to church the way it's practiced today, it was asked, is it a required activity for Christians? Mm. So this is a question that I've personally seen an uptick in. And I don't know if that accurately reflects what's going on on a larger scale or not, but I, I think it's related because the numbers uh, that we're consistently seeing every year as far as church attendance across the United States. Obviously, that might vary from country to country, but either way, this it seems to be a very relevant question that should be addressed, don't you think, Josh? Yes, yeah, for sure, because it, it does seem like it's coming up a lot more, especially in the light of COVID, because mm, so yeah. many people seem to now have left their their churches and possibly not going back just for fear of their own safety and, and well-being. Yeah. I, I think the more that I've seen is, is been more on the scale of I, I like doing church from home. Well, <laughs> I think but, and those are the that's the circle of people that I've heard from. It's I think they're most of them are done with COVID now. But yeah. They just like staying home and watching it on a screen. There is, to me, maybe just a bit of a justification of saying, like, I'm scared about the disease or, or oh, yeah. you know. Yeah, it, I've heard that. I think it's the marriage of the two. Yeah. Well, um, in my experience, there's primarily been two groups of people that seem to ask this question. And number one would be a person who's either been burned by the church at some point or they're extremely skeptical of organized religion because of news articles they've seen or perhaps they've they've heard um, horror stories from other people about certain churches. And unfortunately, one of those things where people cling to bad press. But two would be... Um, those who are either toying with the idea of taking their faith seriously or they're just new to the idea of being one of those churchy people, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I know that my experience with people who ask this question don't represent everyone who might be asking this question, but my approach will come with, with those two categories in mind. Um, and then towards the end of this, uh, I, I, want to, I want to touch on an angle that I haven't heard many talk about before, and it's a very real 
um, it's a very real thing in the area that I've grown up in here and where I live. So um, hang tight for the end of this answer. But to start it off, I had to ask the question, do we see Lone Ranger Christians in Scripture? Because for the person that might make the statement, I don't need a church to be a Christian, I would expect you to have some scriptural evidence where we see that. Mm -hmm. Now, I personally don't see anywhere in Scripture where a true believer is living the Christian life without an interaction with the body of Christ. Uh, Of course, we see characters like John the Baptist, who had a very isolated ministry as he was preaching repentance out in the wilderness when no one else was. But one, he was paving the way for the Messiah pre-church age. And two, he was still involved with a congregation of people in as that process was coming about. He was a pastor of a yeah, church. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, and then we see situations in uh, Matthew 10, 14, where Jesus gives the command to his apostles on their test run spreading the gospel to spiritually weigh each house as they come to proclaim the good news. And if they received it, then they could have peace in their stay. But if not, Jesus tells them, They can dust off their feet as a gesture of basically saying, your blood's on your own head, and move on to ears that will hear and receive the gospel. And I've actually heard folks use this situation to say, well, if I keep walking into churches and they don't receive me correctly, then I'm out of there. I'm dusting Mm. my feet off. And again, this was an isolated test run for 12 apostles, not a template for finding a church home. So I I thought I would bring those at the forefront because I've heard people kind of use those and say, hey, well, you know, you know, it's scriptural. I, I can be a lone ranger yeah. if God's called me to it kind of thing. Yeah. Have you heard that, Josh? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know that you were a, a pastor for quite a few years, so I, I'm sure you've heard all of the above. Yeah. Um, going back, this isn't in my notes, but I remember very often having somebody who would visit who said that they hadn't been in church for quite a while, and you'd say, well, why? And they say, well, I just can't find one that's good for me. And uh, so many times people are trying to have their own agenda. And I mean, a lot of times it was really sad, especially when I would be out and I would just meet somebody who I'd be talking to about God. And I'd say, well, what church do you go to? And they'd say, oh, I don't don't go to organized religion. I don't go to a church. And you Mm. say, why? And they're like, well, um, it to a lot of what you said, they've been burned. They don't feel like the whole truth is shared. They feel like maybe the church is greedy. They don't feel like the, the direction of the church is going the way that they would hope. And a lot of times it's usually born, um, again, from, from a place of hurt or a place of, um, I think damaged doctrine. Yeah. No, I think so. I've seen that myself as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so one thing I wanted to do is read some scriptures where it talks about how this is important and sure. we need to do it. And then for someone who's feeling a little bit like maybe the person Josh just described, but maybe you're coming at it from a, a very sincere and heartfelt, there's an issue, there's a reason I'm not going, I want to address you next. Yeah. Well, can I give my answer real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the way I read it is, is going to church the way it's practiced today a required activity for Christians? And I said, well, required is a strong word. So no, required implies works. And just like I can't work for my salvation, going to church won't earn me anything in the eyes of God. But that being said, it is nothing short of robbing yourself blind spiritually if you are not getting involved with a home church. 
Yeah. And, and that's where I stand on it. And I think a lot of these scriptures that you're going to list, I probably have in my notes too. So I'm excited to see where we harmonize on these. Yeah, for sure. That And that's, I like to see, you know, some backbone in a stance like that because, you know, sometimes people like to, to beat around the bush with it. I like that. Okay. Yeah. I was like, I was very passionate. I was like, <laughs> keyboards all bending. That's awesome. <laughs> Okay, so one of the most direct scriptures I've heard regarding the need to gather is um, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. It says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Yeah. I mean, that one says it. The writer of Hebrews here, he's not only making the point that we should meet together, but he points out the person who doesn't practice this. And this verse is smack dab in the middle of, context-wise, Scripture's talking about those who are saved versus those who aren't. Mm -hmm. That says something. And, And I'm by no means trying to make a point that our salvation is tied to church attendance. But at the same time, gathering with other believers should be an evidence that emerges in every believer's life. Yeah. Like you said. Yeah. I was thinking just uh, completely off the beaten path here. We should get some bells for the Snakebird Studio that anytime that you and I have the exact same passage in our notes, one of us <laughs> rings the bell. We should. And so that way it's like we don't have to read it again, but we're like, ding, 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 you know. Or, <laughs> yeah, so, right. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. That's awesome. <laughs> I just had to jump in with that idea. That's a great idea. Okay, so um, Jesus himself told us in John uh, thirteen thirty four through 35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And we've discussed this in other episodes, but this scripture is speaking of the love and interactions that believers will have with each other mm-hmm. and how that will be in evidence as the world is looking in from the other side of the glass. It's not, there are other scriptures that talk about us loving others, and I think that includes the world, but this is specifically talking about believers and their interactions with each other. Yeah. Um, how will we obey this commandment if we're not gathering with other believers? I agree. You know, that's that's a question you got to ask yourself. Uh, another thing we see is found in the observance of the Lord's Supper. Uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 33, we see in the context of gathering together that we should observe the Lord's Supper often. And in verse 26, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So there's yet another place where we shouldn't just meet with other believers, but we should do it often as we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Mm-hmm. So it's there's some pretty clear scriptures that, that really point to, yes, we need to be gathering and, and that's one of the ways that we can exercise spiritual gifts and bless one another and grow in the body of Christ. It's just something that has to happen if you're following the way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And Romans twelve four and 5 says, For just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, through many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Uh, how does a Lone Ranger Christian or someone who is out there on their own be the body of Christ yeah. when all they are is like a hand or a finger or a toe? Yeah. You know, how do you come together and say, form the body? Yeah. 
It'd be creepy to find one of them by themselves. <laughs> Just like a little toe all... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, true story. That happened on a job site once. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that story. That's great. Yeah. Um, 1 Corinthians uh, 1, verse 10 says that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. And then even in the book of Acts, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Um, You know, it's pretty interesting that uh, a good 90% of the letters that are in the New Testament came to those who were in the churches. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I, I didn't think about it until you just were reading something just a few minutes ago. But I, I feel like, um, you know, just to continue on, it, it's like asking if an Olympic athlete should train to prepare for their sport. Could they still do what they do without training? Yes. But are they going to be weaker or less prepared and have less support if they don't? Yeah. Yeah. You know, surrounding yourself with a body of believers is all about um, being built up. It's all about being encouraged. It's all about uh, having that iron to sharpen the iron. It's all about having um, people around you that are doing life with you. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's as you were talking, I I was just reminded of our last mailbag episode. One of the um, people that asked a question uh, I can't remember exactly how it was phrased, but can will God still bless me mm. after a uh, uh, sinful decision or something yeah. like that? Yeah. And that was one of the things he ran into was a um, a church that just simply wouldn't do that for him because mm. of his past. Sure. And that, I guess, is kind of a piggyback into in, what I want to discuss for someone who's in a situation. They're like, listen. I am sincere. You don't know how sincere I am. I want to grow in God. I want to get plugged in at church, but you don't understand the situation. Mm -hmm. So were you, was that all you had, Josh? Well, and I guess that's a good idea because that's the question I was going to ask is like, I would come to that person and say, why wouldn't you go? And to get into the details of what the root might be and, and expose that root and then deal with it. And I feel like that's exactly the direction you're going. So yeah, let's do sure. this thing. Okay, cool. So this is what some might call a gray area. And it's something that I I have seen um, certain people deal with more than others. But it, it would be centered around kind of a small town setting. Um, this is actually a circumstance of the person who asked this question that spurred this uh, in this part of the episode. But being in the part of Texas that I've grown up in, there's a lot of small communities where there's only one or two churches in the entire town. And I know there's some listeners out there who this will this will hit home for because I've seen where some of our listens come from. But the challenge is that a small community or small communities, they tend to have a gossip problem because everyone knows everyone. And when everyone knows everyone in a setting where there's not much to do in a, a church pew or bar stool kind of town, so Jason Aldean would say, it's a breeding ground for an infiltration of gossip and legalism where people who want to know God find it very hard to walk into the town church where everybody has heard the gossip about what they've done in the past mm-hmm. or what a family member has done in the past. 
And this is a very common thing that I've heard from people that I interact with where I live. Sometimes, is it a cop-out for someone who just doesn't want to go to church? Yes, sometimes. But there are also many cases where the church leadership and congregation has failed miserably at being the hands and feet of Jesus because they're playing the holier-than-thou game. Hmm. So for those of you who are in this situation, you have three options that God has provided in these unfortunate cases from what I have seen in Scripture. And number one is you go to that church. If there's only one choice, then go to that church. If there's more than one choice, you go to the one you feel God is directing you most towards. Even if you feel an immediate vibe of judgment, you go to that church and plug yourself in. Go to class if that's a thing. Go to service. If there's small groups available, try to get plugged in. By truly seeking God's will for you and being obedient to gathering with other believers, God can do something amazing with that. Believe me. He could be placing you in a situation to change your perspective as as well as the believers in that church, which can transform the entire church and spill out into the town. That's how God works. He loves the most unlikely people to change the world. By doing this, the people of the church will be witnessing a trait of Jesus in you. It might take a little time, and regardless of what people think about your past, when they see you consistently making an effort to seek and obey Jesus, then they will see an attribute of Jesus in you because you're willing to put yourself in a place of discomfort to remain faithful to God. This is exactly what happened to the prophet Hosea when God had him marry and remain faithful to a prostitute, even though she cheated on him over and over again. John Corson writes, We need illustrations. I'm reminded of a four-year-old boy intently coloring a picture. What are you drawing? His dad asked. Without looking up, the boy said, I'm drawing a picture of God. Son, there's no one in the whole world that knows what God looks like, his dad said. And still without looking up, the boy said, well, they will here in a minute or two. (laughs) Although we don't have an illustration of what God looks like physically, through Hosea, we see his heart. Not only would Hosea's marriage be an illustration to the people, but it would provide Hosea himself with a unique and rare opportunity to feel what God felt, to experience what Paul calls the fellowship of suffering. So I believe that's a fantastic representation of what God might be calling some of you to do in this situation. Like John Corson said, it might be a more rare case, but it very well might be what's going on. So that's that's the first thing or first option that you might have. That might be what's going on. The second mm-hmm. is the case that you've you've tried the first method, and I mean really tried it. But it simply crashed and burned with no sign of God's direction or healing whatsoever. In this case, you should try to gather with individuals in a smaller setting who are acting as mature believers. In most cases, even in those churches where there's an unhealthy judgment, there are going to be some faithful believers who continue to reach out beyond the walls of that building that Mm -hmm. they call the church. You should make efforts to meet with fellow believers in some way, and you never know, a church might be born out of that type of gathering that will be better guided by God in your town. I've heard tons of stories where this very thing has actually happened. So that might be what's going on, option two for you. And then the third scenario would be to completely move from a toxic situation. And I know that sounds extreme, but 
it's a worst case scenario where if you can't even find a small group of people who are true enough to God's word and guidance, then chances are you live in a toxic community bad enough that the best option is just to move altogether. And th- this is not likely plausible for many people as their career or other circumstances, whatever they may be, they just can't allow for that. And, and if that's the case, I truly believe God has a plan in one of the other scenarios. And I know that it's a very hard thing to do on those first two because there's pride involved. There's probably things that were said previously that's hard to move past. But I really encourage you to look at those honestly. And and many of these situations, they, they do exist, but there's just as many, if not more, where people are just refusing to be honest with themselves in what following Jesus really means. So I would say make sure you're being honest with yourself and owning up to what's really going on because there might be something you need to work on. It might not just be the church. It might be something God's calling you to pay attention to in your life. But if it is a very rare situation like this, or from where I live, it's it's more common than not, unfortunately, in smaller towns, then I would encourage you to really look over those three options and, and see which one might be the one that you need to take. And I really felt God directing my study into those realms. So I, I hope it helps someone out there and they can benefit from those thoughts because mm-hmm. it's something I've seen with people I work with every day. Yeah. Yeah. And I've never lived in a town so small that only is like the one horse town that has mm-hmm. three churches, but I can see where that would be a definite difficulty. And so I agree with those uh, pieces of advice. I think that's very good. I uh, I feel like um, somewhere along the line, I heard a teaching from a pastor who said every single church exists for a reason, and there is a church out there for every individual. And so if you walk into a place and it's just not right, it's just not home, don't discount that. You know, maybe that's not the one for you. Now, you're never going to find a perfect church because that doesn't exist until Jesus comes back and establishes his rule and reign. But there is a place out there for you. And and again, if you are in that situation where your options are limited, then um, I highly recommend take Stephen's advice. Yeah. I'm all like, yeah, take my yeah. advice. <laughs> no, I, it's, it's something that I really felt God pulling me towards on that. So, yeah, amen. And, and what I would say um, just as a back end is um, if you're still on the fence, just remember this is spiritually beneficial, practically beneficial. It's kingdom-minded. It's all about addition versus subtraction. Uh, not going to church leaves you Uh, more susceptible to attack and speaks to an avenue of selfishness to deny a level of authenticity that will only allow you to develop more consistency in the body of Christ. What is going to happen when you plug into a home church is you are going to have to be real. And, And it is kind of like a you choose your own adventure. I mean, you can be as real with people as you want. You can be standoffish. There are still people who walk into churches in this day and age who no one knows. And they go in, they check in, and they check their checkbox or whatever, and then they walk out. And they hardly ever get affected by it. But there are those people that go in, and they choose to be a part of the community, not just an activity. And it becomes um, more to them, and it becomes the body of Christ. So I would say... If you can, find a home church and plug in and make it a, a community. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Highly encouraged. Yes, highly. So, cool. 
Right on. Well, that's all I have for that one, Josh. Me too. All right. So the next one that we're looking at would be giving to the church. Tithe. <laughs> yeah, this is not the most popular topic. I think uh, not Not, but a couple of months ago, we heard K-Love doing the pledge drive. And yeah. that's when I switched to the country station. But. <laughs> yeah. Well, we just came out of the season at the end of the year where everybody asked for donations because uh, they want to kind of hit right before the end of the year with the tax deductible things yeah. and the, you know all that stuff so i it becomes a very prime topic for a lot of people including churches yeah and it might be a sermon in some churches you hear every Sunday. So <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, that's possibility. Regardless of how often you hear it, it it's become a topic of um, skepticism in many people's eyes. Very much so. So, um, Josh, do you want to read how the question was asked on this one? Sure, yeah. So this third question is somewhat related to the last one in the sense that they are both topics becoming more controversial these days. There seems to be a level of distrust in organized religion, and that, in part, has led to many being skeptical of giving their money to the church. So here's the question. Are Christians required to tithe money to the church? There's that word again, required. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that. I'm like, whoever's asking these, they're asking for the hard stance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is this is this mandatory? Yeah. I, I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> Not I require the baby, I require the money. <laughs> yes. To which I, I look down in my first notes, there's three words. Required, again, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's one of those things where phrasing can really throw you for a loop. Yes. Well, I, I kind of attack this from a uh, a root cause of how we look at money in general. Okay. Um, do you want me to dive into that part first, Josh? I think you should. Okay. P.T. Barnum once said, Money is a terrible master, but an excellent servant. And this is a very biblical concept. Uh, Jesus tells us that we can't serve two masters in Matthew 6, 24. And the interesting thing is that he points to money, not Satan, as the master some choose God over. And that is, that's very interesting to me. Always mm-hmm. has been. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think especially for Westerners, this is a tough teaching. We're almost like the national version of the rich young ruler Mm -hmm. because many will tie their identity to financial standing in the world and in their communities and whatnot. And people tend to obsess over what they do and don't have. And that will lead to judging others based on what we think they should or shouldn't have. And before long, we'll find our focuses on things that have no worth in the kingdom of God. And my point is that money is a simple tool in the world, but it's one of the only tools that reflects what's in our heart. Um, you know, a tool is it's used to build. And if someone were to look into the blueprints for what we're building in life, a.k.a. our bank account, what would they see we're building? Obviously, there's bills, there's groceries, there's stuff like that. But chances are there's a good amount of discretionary income that it's going to reflect what we're really living for. And I'm not saying that that hobbies and fine dining are always bad. But the point is that someone who is investing in the kingdom of God, you should see evidence of that in their ledger. You really should if you're living for it. 
And as we discussed previously, there, there's some organizations that we should really question giving to, but we shouldn't let that be a crutch for saying, oh, well, you know, the church can't be trusted, so I guess I'll just invest in that boat. Yeah, yeah. Because I guarantee if we're communicating with God consistently, He's going to show us where there is need, not because He needs our money, but because while we're still on this earth, we're using tools of this world to build the kingdom of God, to bring people to Jesus. If, if that's what we're living for, if that's our true core of being a believer, then you're going to see evidence of it. Mm-hmm. And that's my hard stance on it. Is, is, is it, should you give, should you not give? There should be evidence. Mm-hmm. And the, it'll it'll show up in the ledger. So that's that's honestly that's all I have to say on it, Josh. So yeah. why don't you take off on some of your thoughts with this? Yeah. Well, um, I always remember hearing one of the most impactful things uh, that someone said from the pulpit was, "Are you uh, sanctified from your wallet up?" You know, <laughs> and it, that sounds like a very um, like the whole put out all your money and hold it up in the air. Now, anything that you're not willing to give to God, put it back in your wallet. You know, that, that, (laughs) that sounds kind of cliche, but, uh, Uh, the point is, is to come to the, the new Testament and realize the word tithe is not there, but the idea of giving is, and that we give because of what Jesus gave. And, um, if we don't see that, then I think that there is something deeper in the root of us that needs to be uh, met and that needs to be ministered to. Because I feel like Jesus was the ultimate example of giving, you know, and even him looking at, like, let's say the woman with the two mites, he was talking about how she gave, even though it was uh, such a small amount, she gave out of the abundance of what she had. And it was referred to as more than what the the Pharisees who gave yes. out of the abundance of what they had. And so for me, um, we just read through uh, 2 Corinthians. And as we were looking at that, Paul is talking about this gift that he's taking around and he's collecting for some of the poorer people and and he's really encouraging the church of Corinth and he's like, hey, I just want you to know, you know, I'm really thankful that you guys are going to be doing this gift and I'm telling you about it now so it's not a shock that we're going to be coming around and <laughs> passing a plate and, and he's just like, um, remember, uh, do it generously and not grudgingly. And he said, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Yeah. And I, I've always been of the mind that if you come to write your tithe check and you are of the heart of like, I hate this, this church only wants my money, blah, 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 blah you know what? It'd be better for you to take that check that you've written out of your book and just chew on it and swallow the paper than it would be for you to put it in the offering or send that text or whatever it might be, because there's just no effect that's going to be had from it. Um, But I also agree that where our treasure is there, our heart will be with it. And and, um, I, I feel like 
we do need to be snake birds, especially in discovering where we're supposed to give. And we've talked about this before. There are some churches who only teach about tithing, and it seems like we don't know if they're financially or fiscally responsible for what uh, they receive. And I I feel like to be um, smart, you should be checking out where your finances are going. And and if there's ministries that you're giving to, you know, I would say, hey, how much of this actually makes it into the field versus administrative costs? Yeah. You know, things like that. But um, one of the things that I think God would have us to do is that we realize our whole lives are a gift. And um, some people say that God can do more with uh, our 90 than we can do with our 100%. You know, and so I think it just comes down to faith. I think it comes down to trust. And I think it comes down to a willingness to say, I'm going to give some of it away and um, I'm supporting the local church. And then also I'm doing above and beyond that to, to um, be gifting to one another and to be uh, helping out those that may not have as much as I do. Yeah. Well, and I, I think it's really important that you point out uh, being snake birds about it because. God did give us a mind, and that mind can be used for discernment and creativity. Mm-hmm. So if there's a situation where it's just it's just not there, yes, you know, time is also money. Mm-hmm. And if there's a way that you can contribute, it doesn't necessarily have to be by writing a check because they would have to hire somebody to do something maybe you can do. And so there's a lot of ways that you can contribute to the church in that way. Yeah. But it's it's all based in, in building the kingdom of God and allowing him, because it's such a privilege and honor for him to use us to do that. Yes. So when, we, when we're coming you know, humbly before his throne, we're saying, here I am, God, send me. There's, there's doors that he'll open where we can either serve or give, and he'll make known where the needs are. So I, I think it's a good point to mention. We, we've got to be snake birds, but we can be creative and use yes. our minds. And very yeah. good point. Yeah, spiritually and in wisdom and and in discernment. Yeah. You know, so I agree. Yeah. Well, these are good questions. They are. They are. And they're they're being asked. So I'm, I'm honored <laughs> that we can address them. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And uh, we'd love to do another mailbag. And so... Um, I would love to, to see some more come in either through the email or through Facebook. And so I uh, just encourage you to continue to reach out. Um, you can do so by sending us an email to connect at basnakebird.com or just find us on Facebook by looking up Snakebird. That's right, guys. Please reach out to us, um, whether it be for a topic idea or just need prayers, just need to connect. Please reach out to us. We really encourage that. Absolutely. And hopefully... We'll uh, answer your question next time. So always remember, snakebirds, whatever you do, wherever you go, no matter what life throws at you, there's never been a better time to follow the words of Jesus. And be a snakebird. I think we uh, we did it on that one, Josh. Shall we move on? We shall. Okay. My bell. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> P.T. Barnum once said that money is... Oh, a- no. You can't quote P.T. Barnum right out of the gate. <laughs> Can I not? No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs>